uh, would you give a warm welcome to our lead pastor Chris as he continues us in our sermon series the life we long for good morning Hope Astoria I'm so glad that we get to gather around God's Word so glad that we have family, friends, guests joining us, and I'm truly excited to continue in our sermon series, The Life That We Long For. If you haven't been with us before, I encourage you to go to our website and check out our previous sermons in this series, as we've been looking at this idea, what would it look like for us to not just believe in Jesus, but to actually imitate how he lived, to practice his patterns, his rhythms, his disciplines, the regular things that he did. And so we've looked at all sorts of things from prayer to the centrality of God's word to how he lived an unhurried life, practiced Sabbath, embraced and faced temptation. And today we're going to look at one of the most crucial aspects of what it could be like for us to imitate Jesus, because we're going to look at something that Jesus did constantly. And I, I would argue it's one of the things that we can easily overlook because it's so ordinary and mundane, yet it's probably one of the most powerful tools that you and I have at our disposal to practice the life that Jesus lived. We're going to look at the Gospel of Luke chapter 15, two verses, and then we're going to begin our journey together. Luke 15, verse 1 and 2, it says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Would you join me in prayer? Lord Jesus, I pray you would speak to us this morning, cause your word to come alive to us. Holy Spirit, glorify Jesus. Reveal him in a fresh and transformative way. And Father, may we grow in our love and our affection for you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, it's interesting, the text that we just read it tells us that the religious leaders took issue with Jesus over who he ate meals with. It says that Jesus ate with tax collectors and sinners. Now, a tax collector in that culture was a Jewish citizen that agreed to work for Rome in the exploitation of their own people. So as a tax collector, they were uh, taking taxes from the Jewish people, giving it to Rome, and so often, like 99.9% .9 of the time, tax collectors were hated and despised by their own people because they exploited this position of power. That they, they would overtax the people. If Rome expected 10%, they would get take 15% from the people and keep five for themselves. They were viewed as traitors, as the worst of the worst, and yet... Jesus had tax collectors at his dinner table. This is scandalous because in that time, the religious leaders had a view of holiness. They viewed holiness as such that you could be contaminated or could be considered unholy by association. And so if you were seen to be with someone who was unholy, considered less than or unworthy, you became less than or unworthy simply by being with them. Even if you didn't live the way they lived, just by association. Yet Jesus associated with people that society at that time, even religious people, despised. That's remarkable. That says something so profound about Jesus and about the gospel that he came to proclaim. Where people that are despised and discarded, people that are viewed negatively, 
are welcomed at his table. It says also that he ate with sinners. And that's a broad category. That's not specific to like a trade or a profession as a tax collector. A sinner could be any kind of person, but essentially someone who lived outside of God's commands. That religious people viewed them as unholy, as unrighteous. Those were the people Jesus hung out with. And so around his dinner table were prostitutes, were drunks, were people that were discarded, living on the outcast, the outskirts of life, the marginalized. People who you would raise your eyebrow and say, you're keeping company with who? Are you really having dinner with those people? Yes, Jesus had dinner with those people. Whoever those people are in your mind, whoever the people that you feel would be so scandalous to have dinner with, Jesus had dinner with them. And, and why that's core and essential to understand is that he didn't just have dinner with them to make a statement. He didn't just have dinner with them uh, just to kind of get the religious leaders upset. He had dinner with them because in the act of having a meal, it communicated the core essence of the gospel. The good news of Jesus Christ is that those that are on the outside now have a place at the table. Those that are considered unworthy are now called worthy and loved. That Jesus is changing every single category and dynamic and upending and turning upside down the power structures of this life. That at every meal that Jesus had and every person he called to the dinner table, Jesus was modeling for the world the new humanity that he was trying to create. He was painting a picture of what the world should be, not what the world was. He was saying the world should be a place where everyone is welcomed at my table, that grace makes it possible for people who were once enemies to become family, that my work is to transform people that are polarized and and divided against each other and bring them to a common connection place. And that is my grace convening them to this place of connection. See, Jesus has always been in the habit of bringing people together that naturally would be drifted apart because the world would seek to divide. He was always in the habit of modeling to everyone who would see what the world should look like, not what the world looked like. And you and I, as we seek to imitate Jesus, we get to do the same. And we get to do the same, not just through prayer or studying scripture or practicing Sabbath. You and I have one of the most potent tools at our disposal. And that is the practice of eating a meal with someone. You didn't realize this, but every single day, at least three times a day for most of us, we have an opportunity to actually be like Jesus by intentionally having a meal with others, by using those opportunities to create community with others and to create community for others. That's what Jesus did. He was constantly creating community with others, whether it's with his disciples or with his disciples, he was creating community for others, the tax collectors, the sinners, those that society would push on the margin. A meal is one of the most missional opportunities that we all have at our, at our disposal. And I think 
What's exciting about this is that for so many of us, we have kind of relegated being used of God to people that have a degree or a title or something that happens on a Sunday only. Meanwhile, Monday through Saturday, every single one of us has the opportunity to create connection and community just like Jesus did through the power of a meal. By just having coffee with someone, by creating community, by inviting someone to your table, by creating a table where others can gather, you and I can imitate Jesus. I think this is powerful for us to consider. You and I can be like Jesus one meal at a time. You know, in the Gospel of Luke, the seventh chapter, Jesus says something interesting. He's kind of recapturing and restating some of the accusations that the religious leaders were hurling at him. And look at what he says. Luke 7, 34 to 35. So the Son of Man came eating and drinking And you say, here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proved right by all her children. See, what's interesting is that Jesus didn't deny that he ate with people and he drank with people. Even though he was not a glutton and a drunkard. But he was actively, intentionally, and consistently having meals and being around tables with people. So much so that his accusers and and the people that sought to try to nullify his life and his ministry, these religious leaders, this was the best accusation they could muster. They couldn't call him a liar. They couldn't contradict his miracles. They couldn't say he didn't walk with the Father and and, and really possess a divine life because all of that was happening in front of them. Miracles and just powerful things that only could be attributed to Jesus being the Messiah. But the one thing that they can accuse him of, and at least on the surface could stick, they could say, this guy's a glutton and a drunkard. Because every time they saw Jesus, he wasn't just teaching and preaching and doing miracles. The vast majority of his time, he's sitting around tables with people. People that were far from God, people that felt like God could never love them, as well as with his disciples, the people that he was training to take the gospel all over the world. This is our Jesus. This is our God. This is who we are seeking to not just believe in, but we're seeking to imitate him. This is how he lived. And you and I must take our cues from him. You know, one of the first miracles that we see happen in scripture is John chapter two. It's actually the first sign of Jesus. Throughout the gospel of John, he performs various miracles that testify to his divinity. The fact that he wasn't just fully a human being, but he was also fully God, that he was the Messiah. First miracle that Jesus does, he's a guest at a wedding. And as a guest, he was invited not to officiate, not to pray, not to do anything religious. He was invited simply as a guest. I think that's profound to process is because so often the the world, and sometimes even us as Christians, we have a view of Jesus that he isn't the life of the party. Our view of Jesus is that he's kind of a downer. He, he, he doesn't bring joy. We would imagine Jesus at a wedding judging people for what they're wearing and how they're dancing and you're drinking too much. Actually, no, in this wedding, they wanted Jesus to be a guest there because he brought life. He brought joy. He brought grace. 
That's an image of Jesus that I desperately want people all around me to discover, especially those that are far from him, to know that the God that we serve is a God who brings life to the party, a God who brings joy, a God who at your your most precious moments of life, you want him there as this couple wanted him there. And what does he do there? He transforms water into wine. He allows a celebration to abound even more. This is Jesus. And you and I, as we seek to imitate him, we would do well to imitate Jesus in the way that he created community, created connection, fostered relationships around the table. He was constantly doing this from his first miracle and in between everything that he did up until the cross. If you wanted to find Jesus, you would do well to look at the nearest dinner table where outcasts were gathered, where people that felt they were far from God were there. That's where Jesus would be. But it goes even deeper than just seeing the example of Jesus live in this way throughout his earthly life, it goes deeper in that not only did Jesus have meals with people, but actually at the center of our faith, we find a meal, a meal that we know as communion. Now, this isn't just any ordinary meal. This meal particularly brings people around the table and we celebrate during that meal the sacrifice of Jesus, his broken body and his shed blood. See, when Christians first began to practice communion, it looked and felt differently than the way we practice it for, for several reasons. One, when churches first developed, the largest church, uh, the average size church was probably no more than 30 to 40 people because homes weren't big enough to facilitate gatherings that were larger than that. Historically, there were some churches that were larger than that, that, that were gathered at like a, a royal uh, home, someone who was of nobility that came to follow Jesus and they would open up their massive home and maybe they could have a couple hundred people. And there were some churches historically that were up to a thousand, but those were the overwhelming exceptions. The norm of most churches was anywhere be, uh, under 40 people. And so in that setting, they could gather around tables. And in fact, they didn't gather in kind of rows facing an altar with a podium with someone speaking. They gathered and they did life with each other and they discipled one another and they shared the truths of Jesus and prayed for each other and the Holy Spirit moved in those gatherings and there was healings and powerful things happened all around the dinner table. And during that dinner, the culmination of that dinner as they were sharing a meal and doing life and praying for each other, they would culminate that dinner by doing what Jesus tells us to do, to remember his sacrifice by taking the bread and the cup. At the center of our faith, the thing that communicates the gospel repeatedly to us as believers and to the world is a meal. How deep is this communal aspect of our faith that the core of our faith is a meal that encapsulates the sacrifice of Jesus as well as the community that his sacrifice creates. But I'll tell you something else. A meal is not only at the center of our faith, communion being at the center, but a meal actually helps to explain our faith. And what I mean by that is that 
If you think of a meal, whether it's Thanksgiving or Christmas or any other kind of family meal or friends around the table, it's a it's space for so many things to happen. At a meal, people are seen and their presence is acknowledged. Conversations are exchanged. People are served and people serve. Uh, there's, there's love, there's laughter. But also a meal can be eaten fast or it can be eaten very slow. There's awkward moments during a meal. It's not always easy to have a meal with people. That's why some of us really get stressed out over the holidays. It, there, there's so many aspects of a meal that very much mirror our faith. Because our faith at its best, it's when we create spaces where people are seen, where their presence matters, where their gifts can be shared and enjoyed, where there's space for people to come at whatever place they're at, whether they want to eat fast or slow, whether they consume the faith deeply and quickly, or whether they're slowly processing the truths of Jesus. At the table, there's room for young and old, for children, for elderly. At the table of our faith, there's room for all. All are welcome to come and be at the table with Jesus and together. See, and, and as we've been talking about this idea of the life that we long for, I want to be very clear in communicating this, uh, this idea, and that is it will be impossible for us to actually fully imitate Jesus' life if we just imitate him in prayer, if we just imitate him in scripture, if we just imitate him in Sabbath or living an unhurried life or facing temptation, and we don't imitate him in creating community around meals with others and for others. In other words, if you and I primarily engage in following Jesus in a strictly Sunday gathering, and that's it, especially as we prepare to return to in-person gatherings where we're kind of going to break up this, this rhythm that we've been in for the last 15 months or so where we've been alone, isolated, not gathering in person. Now, as we return to gather in person, for some of us, that's been the primary way that we have grown in our faith and experienced communion with others and fellowship and actually relationship with Jesus. And that's why these, these many months over a year has been so difficult because we have not cultivated a faith and a relationship with Jesus apart from Sunday gatherings. And so that's why this has been so challenging. This has been so foreign for, for many of us. But as we return to in-person and Sundays becomes, gathering on Sundays becomes a norm again, I don't want us to miss the opportunity that's before us, that's always been before us, that Monday through Saturday in the ordinary rhythms of life, whether at work during lunchtime or at home at dinner time or on the weekends or in any of the capacities that your margin allows for, you and I can create community with others and for others. That we can gather around tables to discuss God's word, to pray with each other, to deepen our walk. That we can create community and share hospitality. That for people that are weary and tired and just need to be seen and felt and known around our tables, we can create spaces where we can be a listening ear, a non-anxious presence, where we can 
remind people that the God of the universe invites them and welcomes them just as we are welcoming them to our table. See, what we do around the table very much echoes and declares what we believe about God and how we live out our faith. And can I tell you, as we have sought over this past year and change to intentionally address the difficulty of the sin of racism and division of all sorts, as we've walked and journeyed in, with the pain of the African-American community and the AAPI community, um, it, 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 this is an opportunity for us to recognize something as we begin this new chapter, returning to in-person but not forgetting these, this other space. That is one of the ways that racism and division is consistently destroyed and dismantled is to make sure that our tables represent the kingdom of God. That our table should represent the diversity, the inclusion, the welcome that Jesus' tables did. Unless our tables reflect the kind of community that God calls us to create, then we are missing an opportunity for us to grow as disciples and for us to declare the gospel to the watching world. You know, one of the things that I've enjoyed over the last many years, I've lived in the Rockaways since 2007. If you're not familiar with this area, it's a predominantly white area. It actually used to be called the Irish Riviera because in the 20s and 30s, it's where uh, the 1920s and 30s, it's where the rich Irish of, the, of New York would come and play during the weekends. There was hotels and, and a theme park and people would just come after a long week in the city and would come and just relax by the beach. And so since then, it's been a, a, a deep a place of community for the Irish people in New York City. And so as a Puerto Rican, I feel very much like an outsider here. One of the things that I've actually thoroughly enjoyed, um, and, I, and I enjoy it for many reasons. On some levels, I enjoy because I like to like poke the bear. I like to kind of just do something that contradicts the spirit around me is when we have had friends and guests come and meet us at the beach from our church where we have intentionally had people that were not white, were not Irish, come and be with us, I loved every moment of it because it was an opportunity to demonstrate to people around us that at our table, all are welcome that we were not going to continue to perpetuate the divisions that exist in society. It would be the easiest thing for me to only have Puerto Ricans at my table, or my wife is Irish, to only have Irish people at my table. But I love the fact that African Americans and Asian Americans and, and, and people of all sorts of ethnicities and age and demographics can come and be at our table. You and I get to do that in a world that's plagued by division, and, and separation and antagonisms around our table as we replicate the communion table, the table of the Lord that breaks down every division and creates a new humanity. Every time you and I intentionally try to create community around our tables, we get to participate in the work of the kingdom of God by demonstrating to the world that the divisions that plague our society, we will not give place to at our table. The life that we long for 
is only made possible, is only accessible as we embrace this opportunity. I remember watching the movie many years ago, Deep Impact. If you haven't seen it, I'm going to ruin it slightly for you. And so I apologize. It's a movie with Morgan Freeman is one of my favorite actors. And the, the, the plot of the movie essentially is that there's this extinction level event. A meteor is coming and it's of a massive size. It's going to wipe out life on Earth as we know it. So scientists and the U.S. government and other governments around the world are aware of it, and they have been secretly creating a plan how to survive this. After the asteroid comes and, and destroys life as we know it, they selected a bunch of people, whether scientists, engineers, educators, people that the world would need after this event in order to rebuild the world. And I thought about how what Jesus does is completely different. In this movie, the idea was after the world ends, we got to make sure some people are alive in order to rebuild the world. But what Jesus does is in the midst of the world being broken by death and division, he resurrects, he gives his spirit to his followers, makes them alive, you and I, calls us to be a community, a people, and then you and I get to create this new humanity within the existing broken humanity. We're not waiting for the world to end to start it anew. We are starting it anew right now. And we start it anew, not just on Sundays, not just when we're singing together and praying together, but we start this world anew and we declare that the new world has come, that Jesus is creating a new humanity. Every time we intentionally create community with others, and four others around the table. It's impossible for us to fully live out our faith from a place of independence and isolation from each other. It's only when we embrace the fact that God has created us to be communal and to live out our faith together, and we do much of this around tables, when we create community with others and for others, it's only then that we can fully grow into all that Jesus has called us to. Now, before I end, I want to address the fact that we're preparing for something that we're so incredibly excited for. We're preparing for the return to in-person gatherings. This has been a long journey. We have not gathered together in person on a Sunday as a church for over a year since last March. It's been so long, and we're so excited to return to in-person, because there's something incredibly beautiful that happens and only happens when we're together. This past year and change, we've been able to stay together and access these services and trek together as we've studied scripture, and it's been beautiful, and it's been wonderful, and it's the best that we could do given the circumstances, but it was never where we were going to stay we were never just going to let this become a new norm because meeting together in person, there's something dynamic that happens that only happens in that kind of space. I'm excited about it, and I want you to know we are expecting to see all of you come and join us. Prioritize being together. Let's together reassemble and break the pattern of isolation that we've been in. That being said, as we gather 
I don't want us to forget the fact that Monday through Saturday, outside of Sundays, you and I have incredible opportunities to create community for a city that's longing for it. For people that have been starving for connection to just be seen, to be known, to be cared for. See, as we prepare to gather, I have been, I've been wrestling with the impact that the pandemic has had on our lives with respect to connection with each other. I know that for some of us, returning to in-person is going to be challenging. It's going to be challenging emotionally, mentally. <coughs> Pardon me. It's also going to be challenging um, for some of us if we have some health issues. And I want you to know we're going to be sensitive to all of that. And we're going to take these next steps with, a, with as much love and care as possible. We're going to receive no pressure, nothing but grace and love and patience as together we all kind of return to some normalcy. That being said, for many of us that don't have health issues that would legitimately impede us from returning back with, with wisdom, for many of us, the biggest challenge ahead of us is the energy it's going to take to intentionally break the isolation that has seeped into our souls. This pattern that we've been in. Even though we did this for good reasons and we did this in the spirit of love and I don't regret the fact that we did it because it was the right call to make in order to care for the most vulnerable in our community but also to model to our city that we cared for the vulnerable. It, it, it would not have been a good testimony to people around us if they just saw us as the people of God being cavalier in a time where everyone is being cautious and rightly so if we just chose to gather despite that. But we chose to not gather in a spirit of love and I'm glad we did that. But now as we gather, we gather and we regather in a spirit of love as well. Because there is there are many unhealthy things that we need to pastor each other through that have become a norm for us during this pandemic. We've become very isolated emotionally. We've taken a toll. There's a mental health burden that many of us are experiencing because we were never made to thrive in isolation. And as we return to in-person gatherings, I want us to do so with love and patience and care and grace. And as much as you're going to hear about our focus to return to in-person, you're going to hear all these invitations to come and we're going to be so excited to be together. I don't want us to miss the fact that as we've seen throughout this year and as was the case even before the pandemic, Monday through Saturday, you and I have multiple opportunities to be the hands and feet of Jesus, to create community with others and for others. You know, uh, one of the some of the deepest relationships I have were formed and created not during Sunday services, but they were created during a stretch of time where me and a few friends of mine, we hosted a prayer meeting for anywhere between five to seven years. It's hazy when some of us stopped and some of us continued, but it was the span of at least five, but up to seven years where every Saturday night we gathered to pray, to seek God together, to watch movies afterwards, to eat a meal together. We were young, we didn't have kids, and so we knew when we were starting the meeting, we didn't always know when we were ending it.
But it was during those times that we developed some of the deepest relationships that even now, I'm 41, this happened when I was a teenager and in my early 20s, even now, even though we live in different states and are in different places in life, we still keep in touch. We still pray with each other. We still encourage each other. We still celebrate life's good moments and we journey together during some of the more challenging times. I realize what I described for so many of us is foreign. You don't have that. You wish you did, but you don't. This season ahead of us is an opportunity to intentionally cultivate community with each other, to deepen our discipleship by realizing that outside of Sunday gatherings, there's all this powerful opportunity and space to meet, to connect, to share God's word, to offer hospitality to people that are outside of the faith, to pray with each other, to strengthen, to, to be known, to be seen, to know others, to see others, to care, to imitate Jesus. I don't want us to miss the opportunity that's been before us all along. Even as we prepare and actively regather, be mindful that outside of Sunday, you and I could be the hands and feet of Jesus through something as practical as preparing a meal, inviting someone to eat with us, creating community with others and for others. Can I invite us to pray as we close at this time? Lord Jesus, what empowers us to create community with others and for others is the fact that you created community for us. The gospel has made it possible for us to have a seat at your table. The good news of your death, burial, and resurrection has, has brought us strangers and, and former enemies. We now are family with you and with each other. And because of that, we can do so with others and for others. Lord, we, may we live out the gospel one meal at a time as we create community for those that are far from you and for those that are walking with you but need to be strengthened and deepened. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.